while it uh, is only week five in this facility, it's like week 45 or 55 in the book of Mark. <laughs> so we've been doing this uh, for a while, and it's been really sweet. I mean, we have seen uh, the person of Jesus and many of the facets of who he is. Right? We've seen him uh, as the beloved son of God coming out of the waters of baptism and the heavens open up and, it, and it, God himself declares, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We've seen Jesus interact with people on very, uh, very one-on-one ways where he would heal people. Um, and we've seen him interact in larger groups with the disciples and then more disciples and then we've seen him interact with crowds a lot. So we've seen a lot of the different facets of Jesus. We've seen both his humanity and his divinity. Last week we looked at um, what it means that Jesus would be the Passover lamb. And that's crazy like because all of the Old Testament was built around uh, leading up to the Passover, and then people forever would remember that Passover. They would remember how God redeemed a people out of slavery, out of bondage to himself, and that Jesus said this, and all of that was pointing to me. I am the Passover lamb. And so out of that time at the Passover meal with his disciples, uh, we pick up today. We stand for the reading of the word because our goal on Sundays is to make much of God's word. You could, you could hear uh, kindness from people. You could get a hug. You could feel loved. Um, you could hear some great words, maybe in, in songs. You can hear words that maybe I'll say that are good. Um, but the reality is that the best word that you will hear anytime is a word from the Lord that he's given to us in, in the Bible. And so we stand. We make much of the word of God. That's why the preaching of the word is important. We want to hear what God has to say to us. So I, I say that because what we're going to see today is Jesus in his humanity really experiencing some feelings, some, some truth. And we see that he walks in that and he has great agony and distress and he's troubled and so my question to you is, have, have you ever felt deeply troubled? And I love that the prayer of confession uh, just ties right into to this truth. Have you felt deeply troubled? Have you had, um, maybe, maybe it was a physical pain. Maybe it was a distress. Maybe it was loneliness. And it just felt so overwhelming. And if you can hold that and, and think about some of that, what I have for us today is what is truth in those moments? Because what we see is Jesus experiencing a moment like that. Jesus experiencing a moment of agony. And how does he process? How does he handle that? He prays. He runs to the Father who he knows is trustworthy and faithful and kind. And he prays. And he, he's actually walking the disciples through all of that. Even as they're abandoning him and leaving him and betraying him. He's pointing to what it looks like. To in moments of agony, in moments of, of brokenness, to trust in the one who is faithful. The beauty of it is that in Jesus we have the perfect deity and we see the faithfulness of our God. And so I pray that God would give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, that our, like Chris prayed, our hearts would be soft because that's what we need. We need to hear the word of the Lord today. 
So will you pray with me? God, do the work that only you can do by the power of your spirit. Take a hardened, rebellious heart like mine. Soften it. Give it a desire for you, a longing for you, and then meet that desire in Jesus today. God, we pray this, that this prayer would be prayed throughout the world by followers of Jesus, that they would long to know you, to see you, to hear you, to behold your beauty and your glory and your power. Lord, even today, I pray that we would behold your agony and your, your distress, and we would realize that that agony and that distress was for, for us, that you bore our sin and our shame in our place, Lord, so that we may stand in your place as righteous, redeemed, made whole. God, I pray that today, for some of us, we would hear this for the very, very first time. Maybe we've heard it because it's been spoken before, but maybe it hasn't sunk deep into our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would do the miracle of faith and belief today. God, do it in me. Do it in us as a people. Not for our good only, but for your glory first and foremost. We thank you that as you do that, we get to be participants, and it is for our good. I want to pray for um, Pinita. I want to pray for Crosspoint Espanol. Pray for those that are in South Africa, Lord, that we know, and um, all around the world. Lord, that your name would be lifted high, that you would be praised, and you would draw all men to yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we begin um, our passage this morning, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives, in verse 26. And so this singing of the hymn is actually the closing of the Passover meal. And many times they, they would sing um, the, the Psalms 115 through 118 would be their, their closing psalms. And, and we actually read Psalm 117, which is in that, talking about the steadfast love of the Lord about his loving kindness, about his faithfulness. And so, so they're singing this hymn as they leave and they go over to the Mount of Olives. They're singing about the faithfulness of the Lord, but what they don't realize is that they're walking with the faithfulness of the Lord. Like he is the one. Jesus the Christ is walking with them and leading them down off of, out of Jerusalem over to the Mount of Olives and into the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they sing about his faithfulness, they're actually seeing his faithfulness played out. It says in 27, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Man, they're singing about the faithfulness of God. And as they come out of that, the first thing that he says to them is, Actually, you're going to be faithless. That's tough. Like, we, we would all, we'd all have a hard time with that. We'd have a hard time with that unless, unless we knew Scripture really well. Because then we would be able to sing the Psalms that talk about our faithlessness and how we've let God down and how we have sin, even hidden sin, that is, that is prevalent in us. And so we need a Savior. And so we would ask and beg for a Messiah and one who would come and rescue but in our flesh, <laughs> we, 
when we're just told about the faithfulness of God, and then Jesus, God himself says, but you're faithless. It says that the, the shepherd, and they know that when it's talking about the shepherd, it's talking about Jesus. The shepherd's going to be stricken, and the sheep are going to run away. And so they respond the same way that we do. Let's read how they respond. It says, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Man, good old Peter. (laughs) Every time he likes to respond and stick his foot in his mouth. He did it before. Remember when Jesus said, hey, listen, the the Son of Man has come and he's going to have to suffer and he's going to have to die. And Peter said, no, that's not that's not what I expected. That's not what I had planned on. And he tried to rebuke Jesus. And Jesus calls him Satan and says, get behind me, Satan. Like that, that's the rebuke that Peter had received. And you would think that he began to, to realize, maybe I should think about what Jesus is saying before I speak. But he responds out of that flesh like we all do. He says, listen, they, they might all fall away. James and John, they're really kind of just in this for whatever you can give them. But me, me, I trust you. I love you. I won't fall away. Jesus responds to him and says, truly, I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. We have the benefit of knowing more of the story. We know that this actually does happen. We know that Peter, uh, and we'll read about it here coming up in Mark, Peter is going to deny Jesus. He's going to reject him. He's going to stand in front of people and say, I didn't even know the guy. And then, sure enough, the the rooster's going to crow and he's going to remember, man, Jesus said I was going to do this. But we also have the end of the story where Jesus comes back and he completely restores Peter and says, listen, if you love me, you'll feed my sheep. And he does it three times. And we think that that has a lot to do with his three times denial and three times Jesus calls him to feed the sheep. And so we have that in our story. But in this moment, all that Peter has is he has scripture which Jesus is reciting to him. This is from Zechariah. Zechariah 13.7 says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. That's what Jesus is quoting here. But he's quoting it in a context of pointing to him, the good shepherd. And to the sheep, his disciples, who, who not just Judas... Right? We've already talked about Judas and his betrayal, but, but all of the disciples, all of the ones that have spent so much time in intimacy and uh, understanding with Jesus, they're all going to fall away from him. They respond with bravado and empty promises. I think that sometimes we come to the prayer of confession, and if we're honest, we begin to remember some of the things, some of the ways that we've failed this past week, we, we remember that actually I, I, didn't, um, I didn't really love Jesus in, in his word. I didn't pray a lot. I didn't even really think about Jesus a lot. And we, then we think in that moment, I'll try harder next week. I'll do better next week. And Jesus, he knows exactly who we are. And he, has, he does not have that expectation that next week, in and of yourself, of your own accord and of your flesh, you're going to do better. How do we know that? Because he goes to the cross, and we're going to see it. He knows that that we could not perform this thing on our own. We couldn't conjure it up in our own spirit, in our own flesh. 
And so he went and did it for us. He walked perfect righteousness for us. And so the the disciples, instead of responding with bravado and empty promises like Peter, and then, like we see, it says in 31, but he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Listen, Peter's only the mouthpiece. They all had the same thing in their hearts. No, we won't deny you. We'll be with you to the end. Stick around, because we're going to see that there's nobody with him in the end. He's on the cross by himself, suffering the wrath of God for a faithless people that, that's very evident in the disciples, but it's, it's a truth of all of us that we are faithless. So what we need is one who is faithful. And we see that in verses 32 through 36. Verse 32 says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. There's a lot in this story about the disciples. We get to see they're they're failing, not just in the front end where they say, hey, listen, they they have the bravado and the the promises, but in the back end where they they can't even, not only will they not go to to the point of death with Jesus, but they can't even stay awake for a couple hours. So, So you have all of this surrounding the story, but the reality is that the story is not about the disciples. The story is about Jesus, the one who is coming to suffer in our place, the one whose suffering is happening in the garden as he knows the weight of sin that's going to be be poured out on him for a broken people. So the story is about Jesus. So we need to look and see what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? He prays. He went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. We're given quite a few times in the book of Mark where it says that Jesus specifically went and prayed. If you remember, one of the times was was before he begins his ministry, he goes into the desert, and and there he prays, and he's actually tempted by Satan in the desert, but but the, the, the prayer is that is in preparation for the ministry and the mission that he's been sent on. He knows before he's stepping into that ministry at, at 30-something years old, he needs to pray and he needs to commune with the Father. Well, we're given the same thing here. Jesus is going to the cross. Like, like all of the ministry, the healing, the powerful miracles, all of those were good things, but it all pointed to the reality of the cross. And so Jesus... Knowing what's coming, knows he needs to commune with the Father, and he goes and he spends time with him, and he does that by praying. He prepares for the cross by communing with the Father. How does he pray? What does he pray? These are all great questions. Where does he pray is also a key question. It says that he went to Gethsemane. Why does he go to Gethsemane? Well, he. It, 
we know from the book of John, in John 18, 1 and 2, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So how Jesus prays, what he prays, the, the, the disposition of his heart are all things that we're going to look at, but where he prays is key too, because even as he's going to commune with the Father, and he knows he's going to ask God, like, if there's any way, can you take this cup from me? But he's going to do it in obedience, because he goes to the garden where Judas, the one who's going to betray him, he's already called him out. He knows that Judas will find him. So even as he goes to the garden to ask that God would change the circumstances, he's walking in faithful obedience to those things knowing that he is the suffering servant, that Judas is going to betray him, and he's got to find him in the garden so that he can complete that act. And so Jesus is obedient as he prays. Prays in the garden, knowing that Judas, the betrayer, will come and find him there. Even as Jesus is praying, he's acting in obedience. Why does Jesus pray? I think that's key for us today. Why does Jesus pray? Why does he call out and say, why does he say that his soul is very sorrowful even to death? What does Jesus know that, that maybe as we just read this, we don't, we don't get to understand? Well, Jesus knows that, that there's a price of the cross. It's not simply that he would die. We've already seen his power over, over death he resurrected Lazarus. He called him forth out of the grave. He r- resurrected the young girl who was dead. Listen, that death is not what scares Jesus. Death is not what, what puts agony and distress in his soul. What's causing Jesus agony is the fact that at the cross, the sin of the world is going to be laid on him. And he's never sinned. He's never been separated from God like like you and I have. But at the cross, he's going to take and bear our sin. And so for him, that causes great agony and distress that he would be separated from the Father and the Spirit and, and that he would bear sin, the thing that God hates for a people that God loves. And so, it says he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. My soul is very sorrowful. That's why he's praying. That's why he's spending time with the Father. Asking the Father, if if there's another way, let's do it that way. But not my will, but your will be done. What does Jesus pray? Um, we do not have to have these words given to us. It could have just said Jesus prayed. But we, ha- we get a little glimpse of the words that Jesus has used, used when he prayed to the Father in his greatest agony, in his greatest need, in his greatest distress. We have these words that Jesus would pray. The funny thing is we already knew them. He's already taught us how to pray. He's already taught us how to pray on the, the Sermon on the Mount. He, he's told us exactly 
how we should pray. Matthew 6, 9-13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think often we think, oh yeah, that was just Jesus teaching. And he, he said, okay, I'll just keep it succinct for you guys so that you can remember the whole thing. And then you'll be able to memorize it. And it'll be this great tool that you get to use. I think we think that because we do that. Like we create these tools rather than these true things. And, and we just use them to check boxes. Jesus wasn't checking a box, and he wasn't giving us a way to check a box. He was giving us something with authority and power that would allow us in our greatest agony and need to to come to the Father, to trust in the Father, to believe in God and have hope in him. How do we know this? Because we get to see what Jesus prays. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The beginning of the Lord's Prayer says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's this idea of the holiness and the strength and the power and the might of God. And Jesus comes and he says the same thing, Abba, Father, The same access that Jesus has to God, He's given to us and He's given it to us in prayer. And so we come and we say, Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Jesus says the same thing. He says, "Uh, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. You are mighty and powerful. You are sovereign and in control. That's amazing. That's the God that Jesus is approaching here. And he knows it. And he recognizes it. And he's calling him both this supreme being and intimate father. I don't think that we can wrap our heads around that. I think we could spend all of eternity trying to figure out, and we we will, trying to figure out what does it mean that he is both intimate father and all-powerful supreme creator. But Jesus knows that, and that's the way he approaches the Father. I'm thinking that, and this is speculation, this is just my thoughts, is that right before the disciples fell asleep, they hear Jesus begin the prayer. And then he comes to them, and after they've fallen asleep, he wakes them up, and he reminds them of the end of the prayer. The end of the prayer says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You see, because in verse 38, Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Not only did Jesus give us the Lord's Prayer, but he prayed that same prayer. Do we we believe that? Like our family, we say it all the time. We say the Lord's Prayer usually every morning. But it just becomes this rote thing that we think, okay, yeah. But in Jesus' agony, like Luke says that the agony was so great that when Jesus was praying and sweating, he was sweating drops of blood. 
That angels had to come and minister to him in that moment. Like that, that's the intensity of, of Jesus' distress. And what is he doing in that moment? He's praying the Lord's Prayer. What seems so simple to us. It's the life source for Jesus. It's the thing that his trust and his faith in the will of God is so great that he will go to the point, even to the point of death, death on the cross for you and for me. We have that in our pocket. We have that on our keychains. We have that on bookmarks. The Lord's Prayer is this powerful thing. We know it's powerful because we see Jesus pray it and then he gets up and he says, the hour has come. The betrayer is at hand. Let's go. Enough. Rise. It's time to finish the work. We have the, this beautiful, faithful obedience of Jesus. He obeys the Father. He obeys the Father because the Father loves the world. We have it in John three sixteen and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Listen, some of us have this idea, and we get it from memorizing the Lord's Prayer, we get it from memorizing the Ten Commandments, that, that God is this list of rules or things that we should do. And I want to tell you today that that is not the God that we are worshiping and serving. He does have those commandments. He does have encouragements for us. He does give us good things to hold on to. But more than that, we have a God who has given Himself. Look, the, the two active words in those, the, in those two verses, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God did not send His Son. Listen, God, knowing the need that you and I have, gave and sent His Son. That does not sound like a God who demands from you, but it sounds like a God who has given for you. That is the the God that we worship. A God who has set a table like we talked about last week and the only requirement is that we would have need. We come needy and we say, God, over and over and over. It's not that next week you do better and then you don't come needy. No, you come needy every time you come to the table of Christ. And so we come needy, poor, and blind. And he fills us with his spirit, fills us with his righteousness, calls us again to walk and the things that he set before us, not because that's what we have to do, but because that's what we get to do as children who now approach the Father and call him Abba. Ephesians 5.2 says, Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why is Jesus in the garden experiencing this great agony? It's because we talked about it, the steadfast and faithful love of God. That's why he's there. Because God is faithful to complete the work that he's begun. He's given them these, these images of the Passover lamb, and now he's going to give them the lamb of God that is slain for the redemption of sin. His blood that gets poured out to redeem us. That's the faithful God. That's the God we see in the garden. The Jesus that's in agony and distress. A Jesus who's very sorrowful. Why? Because he knows that at the cross, he will pay for our sin. 
You see, for God to be God he, and for Him to be good and just, there must be a punishment for sin. I think often we just gloss over sin and we think, you know what, I'm forgiven, it's okay. I'm forgiven, but it, it's not He just forgot and He said, no, you're off the hook. No, the hook was put on somebody, it was put on Jesus. Your sin and my sin was laid on the sinless one. The one who didn't deserve it. The one who couldn't, even, who, who couldn't even imagine it. And so he's in this agony and distress because now the sin of the world will be laid on him. The wrath of God must be satisfied. For God to be good and just, someone had to pay. And so he sent himself, he gave himself in the person of Jesus to suffer and to die. Jesus will die and he'll be separated from the Father. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what's going on here. This is what Jesus knows is happening, getting ready to happen at the cross. Remember, this is probably early Friday morning or late Thursday night, and, and Friday is the day that He's going to go to trial and, and go and be executed, be crucified. And so as he's praying and he's pouring out his heart to God, what are the disciples doing? Well, he says in 37, and he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. That's key, saying the same words. Like he didn't come up with a new theology or a new understanding. He's praying the same thing. He's depending on a holy and righteous God. And he's praying again, not my will, but your will be done. That's huge. That is true faith and belief. Is when we can say, God, I have these desires and I, and I hate this pain that I'm experiencing. And it, it, it feels very real. All of these things are true. But what, what is more true is that you're faithful. What's more true is that your will is good. And so, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. If Jesus, who is, who is both God and man and fully powerful, we've seen Him work His power even over nature as He calms the seas and stops the wind from blowing, how He formed people's bodies and changed their molecular levels. Like, this is the powerful Jesus that we have. What is he doing? He's praying, not my will. Not what I want, Father, but what you have. So that I can walk in obedience. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See my betrayers at hand. I think we can get caught up in thinking that Jesus needed the disciples' companionship. I think that in his human aspect, yeah, he, he wanted them there with him. He's, he's grown with these men. He's trusted these men. And, 
and called them into deep relationship. But I don't think that that's the main reason that he's calling them to, to go with him and then to watch and to pray and to stay awake. I think the main reason he's doing it is the same thing that he's always been doing. He is discipling them. He's calling them to look to Him, to see Him, to behold Him, maybe even to hear Him, hear how I pray, see how I pray. It's a human response to want comfort and consolation from friends and family in our trouble and agony, but but Jesus is going beyond that. He's calling the disciples to follow Him, to learn from Him. Calls them to pray that they will not enter into temptation. That completion of the, of the Lord's prayer. And so after he calls them and they fail, finally he comes to the place where he, in, in verse 41, and he came the third time and said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. Jesus knows. Okay? Vast the Father. I've, I've expressed to the Father what my thoughts and feelings and, and anguish is. And I've said, but I trust your will. And then he gets up, he stands up, he calls those around him, he says, enough, rise, it's time to go and walk in the will of the Father. See, true prayer is going to lead to faithful obedience. It's going to lead to us getting up and going, getting up and doing what God has called us to do. Prayer is, is not passive, it is active. Prayer is us communing with the Father and then walking in what He wills. He calls the disciples to get up and follow Him in obedience. You see, He's always been calling them to this. Remember in Mark 8.31, He said, It began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. That's the hour that's come. It's time for us to walk in that. It's time for me to walk in that is what Jesus is saying. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus is calling the fact that in the next verse, Judas is going to come up and betray him. And so, listen, all of this is kind of, it's beautiful, it's powerful, it is instructive. I think it, it gives us some clues. If, listen, if that's how Jesus prayed, then that's how we should pray. But what does it mean for us today? I think we're, we're called to follow Jesus. We're called to follow Jesus in prayer. He's given us a way to pray. Do we do that? Or do we come to Him and give Him a list of our wants, our needs, and then check, him, check them off with praises as He meets that grocery list. Listen, that's, that's what I do often. I come with just my wants and I never get to His will. But Jesus has given us a way to pray. He's called us to follow Him in prayer, praying, yes, this is a reality, right? His agony and His anguish and the torment in His soul is very real. And He brings that to God and then in the end He says, not my will, but your will be done. So we follow Jesus in prayer. We also follow Jesus in repentance. We're a lot like the disciples in this story. We're full of, I'm going to do better, or I'm, I'm going to go, and I'm going to be this strong Christian for you. 
And Jesus is calling for us to be weak and humble, meek and mild as he is. We have a hard time with that. I think a lot of it is a cultural thing, but I, I think it's even more than that. I think it's just the, the rebellious disposition of our heart says, on my own, I can do it. On my own, I can. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't do anything on your own. You need me. And the good news is that I'm sufficient and I'm available and I've laid down my life for you. We're like the disciples in this story trying to operate out of our flesh. Where our spirit is willing but our flesh is weak. Paul in his book to the Romans in chapter 8 talks about this idea of spirit and flesh. And it also moves into this idea of identity as the, as the child of God. And I just want to read it for us. I want us to see this because when we talk, to, talk about application, like what does the story of Jesus mean in my life? This is some really good stuff. Romans eight twelve through 14 says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, but live, not to the flesh, but live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If all we had was flesh, we would be in a, in a bad way. We would, all we would have are recommitments, rededications. Re, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. But the reality of God is that we have, our, we have the Spirit of God inside of us. If we are His... He has put His Spirit in us so that we can be honest about the flesh and we can be like, listen, I failed again. I come to the table needy. And then we can walk in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit of God into the righteousness of Christ where we can actually be kind to people, where we can actually love them because it's not us who's loving them, but the perfect one, Jesus Himself, is doing it now in us, through us, for His glory. That's what we've been given. We have to believe. We have to repent of trying to do it our own way. And then we need to believe that this truly took place. That what happened on the cross was Jesus paid the price that you and I could not pay. And so we no longer strive, but we come and we say, thank you, Jesus. And out of gratitude, we worship Him with our whole life. We have to believe that it took place. And not like just for people in general, for God so loved the world, but we have to believe that it took place for you and for me. That the reality is that Jesus died for you. That he paid the price for you. When that becomes very real for us, it changes all of life. It's not an optional thing that I get to participate with the church or, or that I get to be part of what's going on. No, because Jesus paid for me. Now my life is not my own. I've been bought with a precious price. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. Today, if this is your first time hearing it, Jesus, the Son of God, bore sin for you and for me. And you need to know that. And you need to believe it. And we have the promise that because that's true, and he, he died in our place, when he rose, he defeated sin and death. And his resurrection is the 
is the seal. It's the truth that says that all of this is, it really happened. And we can trust it. And now we're dead to sin and we're alive in Christ and I can walk in the righteousness of Christ. Today, if you, this is your first time hearing that, I pray that that would sink into your spirit and you would believe it and you would say, listen, I don't have it all figured out. But if that's true, I want to know this Jesus. I want to follow this Jesus. He suffered the anguish and despair of being separated from God because of sin so that you and I would no longer be separated from God. That we would be reconciled to God as sons and daughters. Paul, when he talks in Romans, he continues on, for you, have not, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This work that the Spirit's doing is, is cementing this identity in us. That just like Jesus, the Son, comes to the Father and he says, Abba, Father. If you can do, if you, if you would take this cup from me, then do it. But not my will, but your will be done. And we know that the Father loved the Son. We know that the Father was faithful to the Son even in His resurrection and in His ascension, and that the Son sits at the right hand of the Father today, interceding for us in perfect harmony and communion with the Father. And this says that we have that same communion, that same promise to be heirs with Christ, glorified with Christ. So the call then today is to walk in obedience to the Father's will. That walk is by faith, through prayer. That walk is being filled with the Spirit. That walk is doing the will of the Father for the glory of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we pray today as you have taught us to pray. God, we pray to our Father, Abba, the one who is sovereign and powerful and in control of all things and yet has come in such an intimate way to be our God and we are his people. And if we are in Christ, then we are heirs with Christ. And we are sons and daughters. And so we come and we say, Abba, Father. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We get to cry out that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we trust in your good will. We trust in your kingdom that is more full and more righteous and more beautiful than anything that we could build. And so, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come. That your will would be done, not ours, God. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to give us our daily bread. We thank you that this is, is a physical meeting of needs, but more than that, Lord, that you are the bread of life. You are the one who has been, your body has been 
broken for us. God, you laid down your life so that we could have it. And so we come to you for life today, for our daily bread. God, we thank you that we can pray and cry out that you would forgive us of our debts so that we can forgive. Thank you for the forgiveness and the mercy of the cross, Lord, that at the cross your justice and your goodness, your love meet. Lord, that you are both faithful to your promises and faithful to yourself because of the work of Jesus on the cross. And Lord, today we pray that you would lead us not into temptation, but that you would deliver us from evil. God, would you do this thing in our hearts? Would you give us a greater desire for you than for any temptation that would lure us away? God, temptation to all of us may look different, and yet you've given us freedom from all of it. You've given us satisfaction, a greater affection, and a greater love in the person of Jesus. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would do that in us today. God, because we believe that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.